Well, good morning. I would invite you to, if you have your Bibles, turn to your Bibles, because maybe your devices would be distracting. But if that's where you interact with Scripture, go ahead, turn your phone on, or your iPad, or whatever it is. Um, and I want you to stand with me. I want to read our text right away. And uh, yesterday, as I was <clears throat> sitting uh, at my table working on the message for today, um, I changed the verses that I want to read just slightly. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 28. We're there. It's the last chapter uh, of Luke's writing in Acts. And I want to read starting in uh, verse 16. So these are the words uh, of Luke. He says, of telling the story about Paul, he says, When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Three days later, Paul called together the local Jewish leaders. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews objected. So I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. And they replied, Well, we've not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and and none of our people who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are. For we know that people everywhere are talking against this particular sect. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day, came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning until evening, explaining about the kingdom of God. And from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some of them were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will be ever hearing but never understanding, you will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused, They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I like that story. You you may have noticed in your bulletin the, the title of today's message. I borrowed it from the playwright Tennessee Williams. He once said, life is always now. And I believe that that is absolutely true. 
But when I, when I read this quote and was thinking about this text, I, it made me stop and think about whether or not we live like that statement is true. So sitting at home yesterday, I was thinking about the different options. If life is always now, if it's not always now, what, what would it might be? <clears throat> we could view life strictly looking at the past, looking backwards, remembering, constantly thinking about yesterday or 10 years ago or 30 years ago or longer. Have you ever gone back to visit a place from your childhood where you have particularly fond memories? Years later, you go back and, and you visit. Um, I remember the first time that I went back to uh, the town of my childhood, or the town I claim is where I spent most of my young elementary school days through junior high in Marquette, Michigan. And I remember the first time that we drove by the house that we lived in. It was small. It was, it was much smaller than I remembered. It sparked my curiosity, so I surfed the internet, and I, and I found some old realtor pictures from the last time that the house was on the market and was, and was sold. And so I could glimpse into, you know, that's, I, I slept in that room. This was where our kitchen table was. This was, the, the hallway was much smaller and narrower and shorter than I remember. I, I remember playing Nerf basketball in that hallway, running up and down and slam dunking the ball while the NCAA tourney was going on years ago, back when Patrick Ewing was in college playing for Georgetown and Madison Square Garden. I felt like that house, that hallway, was as big as Madison Square Garden. Not so much. So, you know, I was already in the reminiscing mood yesterday, so I went to Google Maps. And if you go to Google Maps, you can look at the satellite picture of the map, and it looks like the picture that the actual photograph from, from the sky. And, and I looked at, you know, our house on Cleveland Avenue there, and, and I noticed that right across the street in the giant forest where my friends and I would build forts and make bows and arrows and would go hunting, and, and we would just have all sorts of grand exploration over there in this huge forest. Well, it was like two lots, and now there's houses on them. You know, that's a little bit different. And then, then I scrolled down to the next street over where my friend Brian lived, and, and uh, that was Logan Avenue. And Logan Avenue was like Lambeau Field. I mean, this is where we played all of our touch football games. And you know what? It was, it was just a paved, narrow little street, kind of cracked. and wasn't as grandiose as I remember. And, and then I remember... At the bottom of, of Logan Street, the, it was kind of a little slightly downhill slant, and at the bottom, there was a driveway that one of the embankments on the driveway just made this natural jump where we could jump our dirt bikes. And it was, you know, it was like this huge, towering, menacing 
jump and we would fly hundreds of feet in the air. You know, it was, you know, maybe this high. And we maybe caught three or four foot of air on it. And it was just different. We think back and we remember these pictures and sometimes they just seem more grandiose in our minds than what they were in, in reality. So as I was sitting there and I was, well, I was already at Google Maps, I might as well look up some of our other addresses. And so, you know, I looked at some of the apartments that we first lived in when we were married and, and the first house that we built in Illinois and just see how things have changed. And maybe things that we think we remember aren't necessarily actually true. And it was fun to do that. The flood of memories that came rushing over me was kind of overwhelming. And uh, once in a while, do you ever think back on some of those memories and say, you know, oh, if I just could go back and relive some of those days. You ever been there? We know that we can't go back there and we can't relive those days from the past. You know, to live your life trying to return to a different place and a different time is really wasted effort. You know, it can be extremely enticing because we remember the good things. Oftentimes we remember the good things as better than they were. And the truth is, in this particular option, we're not living life always as now. The one option is living towards the past. And if you spend too much time idolizing what once was, it makes it really difficult to move into the future. The future's over here, and, and we're constantly looking this way, then you know, we're kind of backing in, into the future, and, and maybe we don't see where we're going. Of course, there's another option. One option is to look backwards. The, the other option, if we're not living life as always now, is to, is to turn this direction and look towards the future. Think about tomorrow. you're in elementary school or junior high, maybe looking at tomorrow is wondering what high school will be like. Or maybe it's dreaming about your wedding and who you marry and where you will live and what you will do and what your life's going to turn out to be like. Or maybe you're a little further along in years and you start to wonder about grandkids and spending time with them and what's retirement going to be like and all sorts of things that we just start to think forward about. We imagine what it's going to be like. And I think it's good to think. It's healthy to dream. It's wonderful and and necessary to set goals and, and make plans for tomorrow. But but you can also become obsessed with looking to the future. So much so that you're constantly focused on what's next. And if you're always focused on what is yet to come and and how you're going to get there and how quickly can you do it, sometimes you, you just race right by what's going on around you right now. 
because you know what, this present moment doesn't mean as much as the next one that I'm trying to get to. So we speed through the moment, and we don't listen, we don't hear, we don't pay attention. We're not fully with those who are in our presence now. People who are focused on climbing the ladder of success oftentimes fall into this category. I was out in the business world long enough that there were, there were some people who you, you would know right away that when they joined your team, it was only temporarily. Would never fully engage with the people around them. Always looking at, well, what's the next best thing and how do I get there? Because right now is a waste of time because I need to be over here. People who look at each place as just a temporary stepping stone. I, I have to admit, I, I fall into that category in my past. See how high you can climb the ladder of success in whatever career it is. And the future is enticing. And we live in a culture that celebrates the rise Someday you'll reach a pinnacle, but you never seem to get there. I think Brother Paul was a ladder climber, at least in his early days. Uh, he, had he had an impressive resume as a Jew, and he kind of laid some of that out in Philippians chapter 3, but it, the long and short of it was he was a zealous, Christian-hating go-getter. And so he wanted to make his name known in the ranks of the religious folks, that, that he was the guy destined for success. Go anywhere, do anything, abuse anybody. I'm going to round up these Christian folks and we're going to squelch this thing. But Jesus got a hold of him, changed his heart, and redirected the focus of his life. Now, being a former ladder climber, those things don't just go away overnight. There's an internal drive in most of us. And, and so you can see that as Paul's ministry expands. He, he's looking to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Now, that's an open-ended big task, right? Take the word to the Gentiles. And so he went and he proceeded. Planted, I don't know how many churches. We know of a lot of churches that he planted he was a go-getter. We get to this ending of the book of Acts, and it's kind of a story that's to be continued. It's not ever finished. Paul was in Rome because he had made an appeal to Caesar to hear his case, and when he gets there, they put him on house arrest. In other words, he pays for his residence and he's chained to a Roman guard. Two years. Which is kind of the statute of limitations if you want to use that terminology. After two years, you would be released if your case hadn't come up for trial. But we don't know. Luke doesn't paint us the picture of what happens to Paul here. We can speculate from other Christian writings that 
at the end of this two-year term, he was released and then went and visited some of his churches and eventually was arrested again and landed in prison in Rome where, where he faced a martyr's death. But Luke just leaves it open-ended, kind of as a way, a challenge, I think, to us is what are you going to do about all of this launch of the church? We read part of the final story of Paul's life. I mean, he was a courageous spokesman for the gospel of Jesus, and he had, he had given his entire life to spread the message, and at the end of his life, he finds himself in jail. And in spite of the fact that he is shackled to a Roman soldier, he spent his time teaching and preaching and welcoming people. And I would dare say that these were not circumstances that Paul had imagined for himself. I don't think Paul had drawn up the plan to land himself in jail. I think he was perceptive enough to know that the gospel message was dangerous and spreading it, there was the potential of landing in jail. But when, when he was called to go to the Gentiles and to Jerusalem and to, and to Rome, I, I don't think that he imagined preaching the world word while chained to a Roman guard. If we had lived in Rome during that time, the average person in the Roman Empire would have looked to the emperor's palace to find the future. I mean, that's where all of the power was. That's where all of the control was militarily and politically. The control was there. That's where the, the, the center of, of wealth and commerce was surrounding the palace. And so if, if you were to say, where, you know, where's the future of us? Where would I be most secure? It is aligning oneself with, with Rome, with the emperor. Nobody would have looked to a small house that uh, an itinerant preacher was living in, chained to a guard. Nobody would have looked there and said, you know, that, that's my future. We need to look at the power and the control and the might and the strength over here because that's more likely where I'll find a picture of security for myself. And if we think about their situation, I don't think it's far removed from our own. Uh, if you were to poll people on the street about where their future lies, do you think the answers would be significantly different? I think that people would answer, well, it's in my 401k. It's in money what I can accumulate. Or it's in power, position. Maybe some would say military control. Some people might say politics. Other people might say science or technology. Lots of people would probably say achievement. Where does the world look for the future. It's in these things. And this 
story that we read gives us a glimpse into the reality that the world's ways and God's ways aren't the same. And Dennis Kinlaw, he writes, he says that Paul was the one who, who cast a long shadow over the next 2,000 years. It wasn't the one who sat on the throne dictating to people how they should please him. And you know why? Because I think that Paul recognized that God was his future, so much so that he was able to live life always now. Which gets us back to our title. The past certainly has formed us. The past has, in many cases, given us a foundation. The past has taught us things. There were good times. There were bad times. There was joy, pain. But the past isn't the future. God is the future. And when we truly and fully and completely see that God is the future and that pursuing His agenda, pursuing righteousness, pursuing justice, pursuing mercy, that we see those things as our future, then we will find a certain security so that we can truly live in each and every moment. Just like Paul did. So I would ask you, where do you find your future? Where do we as a church look to to find our future? And that's a really good question to take the time and think about. Is God and pursuing his agenda and his kingdom our future? I, I hope so. I mean, when you ask the question like that, is God our future, and we're standing in a sanctuary of a church, I would hope the answer would be yes. It seems like the easiest answer for the people of God. Seems like the right answer. We know, yes, we're supposed to answer yes to that one. I think I'll get that one right. But I want to challenge us to live that way. Not just talk that God is our future, but to live in the way that suggests that we fully believe that God is our future. I want us to live towards God uh, in pursuing righteousness, in pursuing spreading His love to the people around us, being people of forgiveness and mercy and generosity as individuals and, and as a church. This last chapter of Acts, the verses that we read, it's a good example of how Paul was able to see God as his future so that he could live life as always now. Um, well, I want to look a little bit at the story that leads up to today's text. Uh, if you flip back a couple chapters, I'm going to get into too many specifics, I'm just going to tell you a little bit of his story. Now, Paul it was a controversial figure in society. That's not a secret. Wherever Paul went, there were two things that were guaranteed to happen. One, the gospel would be preached, 
and the second, a riot would follow. That he was that kind of guy. Kingdom would be preached, Jesus' message would get out there, and people wouldn't like it and would start fighting with one another. Paul's mission to the Gentiles was wildly successful. But many of the Jews in Jerusalem and spread throughout the region didn't like Paul very much because they felt he was persuading people to forsake the book of, and the law of Moses. And so they looked at him as a heretic. We can't believe what he says or trust it because he's leading people astray from what we've always known. So for all his success in Asia, you would think that Paul could spend his time there in the most effective way possible, but he really felt compelled to go to Jerusalem, where the people didn't like him so much, the center of Judaism. But he felt really compelled to go preach the word there, to testify to the good news of God's grace. And he was wanted there. So his friends, well, they tried to persuade him not to go. There's plenty of good work to be done right here, Paul. There are plenty of places where there's people who would just welcome you with open arms. They would give you honor and respect, and they would listen to you, and they would respond, and, and it would all be good, Paul. Why, why? why do you want to go to a place where you might even die? You've got to be reasonable, man. Just stay here. But he was compelled to go into the teeth of all of this. Acts 21, 13, the issue in Jerusalem is not what they do to me, says Paul, whether they arrest me or murder me. The issue is what the master Jesus does through my obedience. It's Paul's response to them. That's bold. I like it. Does that kind of commitment motivate you? Does that kind of commitment attract you? It does me. Paul didn't sway with the popular opinion. His foundation was on the rock. His foundation was on Jesus. Jesus was at the center of his life, and, and with Jesus at the center, Paul wasn't easily swayed one direction or the other. Jesus was that centering force in his life. No matter the circumstances, which I think enabled him to write later in, in uh, Philippians chapter 1, the, the passage, he says, Now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain, says Paul. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. There's work to be done. He goes. At the end of chapter 21, Paul is arrested. But he gets the chance to address the crowd as he's being arrested. And so he faithfully shares his testimony. He tells his conversion story. He tells how Jesus confronted him about persecuting the Christians and, and, and that Jesus called him to a different way of, of living and that it radically changed him and that he was to be so bold as to take this news to the Gentiles. 
And the crowd listened closely up until that point. The crowd was with him. Tell us more, Paul. This is interesting. And he said the word Gentiles. And they went nuts. Acts twenty two twenty two. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, Rid the earth of him. He is not fit to live. Gospel was preached. Riot ensued. As they were raising their hands to kill Paul, a Roman commander and his men rescued him, ordered him to be flogged. At this point, they didn't know that Paul was, in fact, a citizen of Rome, which uh, flogging without a trial was illegal, and so Paul kind of catches them in this, and he identifies himself as a Roman citizen, and the commander goes, "Uh uh-oh, what did we do? Then there's a the trial before the Sanhedrin, and, and so you know, Paul tries one line of reasoning and is not getting anywhere, but he realizes that the Sanhedrin is made up of two different sects in, in, in Judaism. There's the, uh, there's the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they, they didn't really like each other much. The Pharisees believed in the resurrection, and the Sanhedrin did not, and Paul knew that. And so he said some things that sided with the Pharisees, and the Pharisees are like, oh, well, maybe, maybe this guy does have some merit. Maybe we should side with this guy. And it, a riot ensued in the Sanhedrin. And in the middle of all of this turmoil, the Lord told Paul that he wanted Paul to preach the gospel in Rome take my message to the very heart of the empire. 23.11, take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Now, if I'm Paul, maybe two thoughts go through my mind. What? And, oh, the what is, I felt compelled to come to Jerusalem to preach the word. Now you want me to go to Rome? And the O is, oh, well, if I'm going to take the word to Rome, that must mean I'm going to live. So eventually Paul makes his case. Uh, there's some trial back and forth with leaders in Israel. Paul's in prison for like two years waiting for them to render a verdict. In that time, Paul says, I want to make an appeal to Rome. I want to, be, I want to have my case heard before Caesar. And, and eventually... They sent him on his way to Rome. And now as a preacher, if I'm thinking about going to a city I've never been to, and that God wanted me to preach the word there, yeah, a couple images would come to mind. Like, hey, I probably should tour the city and find the places where people gather in open spaces. I should probably visit, because he, he knew that there were Christians already in Rome. I, I, I probably go see the church and, and spend some time there and gather some support and encouragement and feed them and, and, and we can teach and learn what, from one another and, and maybe we start something that sweeps across the city. I don't think that's how it played out. In fact, we read this morning, it didn't play out like that. 
Paul was shipwrecked on the way to Rome. Took a long time to get there. And when he gets there, he's still under arrest. Then he has to rent a house at his own expense. And he has to have a Roman soldier chained to him. And we know from his own word that he was there for two years in that particular situation. Probably nobody would have faulted Paul if he decided to put his ministry on hold for a little bit. I got to get ready for this trial. I'm going to appear before Caesar. I better know my stuff and my story so that there's a good outcome for me. I can't go out and about. I'm chained to a guy. Maybe I'll just sit here and bide my time and get ready. That's not, that's not Paul. He didn't do that. Luke says at the end of Acts, we read it, that for two years, Paul proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. That, that's the last word in the book of Acts. Akalutos without hindrance. That's the last word. That's the final word in the book of Acts, without hindrance, which means nobody is trying to prevent, nobody is trying to stop. And I would say, really? Nobody's trying to stop the word. Paul is under arrest. He's the one in charge of spreading the word here, and he's in a house locked up, chained to a guard. That seems like hindrance to me, yet Luke says, he preached, he taught, he welcomed with all boldness and without hindrance. Maybe we could say that God's word cannot be chained, even when its messenger is. Caesar cannot silence the gospel. It's going to go on. He wasn't stilled at the cross of Jesus. He wasn't ended when they stoned Stephen to death, nor will it end when Paul dies in Rome later on. The gospel will be preached with all boldness and without hindrance. That's the promise of the Scriptures. Paul's plans were changed, probably many more times than we have record of or that we could even count. But God used Paul even with all of the limitations that he faced. Paul didn't give up. He didn't retreat and pout. He didn't forsake his calling. He didn't say, well, you know what? This isn't how I wanted it to go. This isn't that picture that I drew up in my mind of what it was going to be like, God. So maybe I'll just pack it in. He kept on with his mission, even though he saw his plans disintegrate before his very eyes, and he lived the phrase, life is always now. He wasn't looking far back into the past like how he thought it should be, and he wasn't too focused on the future out here, like where am I going to take the gospel next? He knew that God was out there in his future, and God wanted him to be available in each and every moment in the present so you could live your life now, Paul. He got to a place in his life where he was able to do that. 
and live that example out for us to follow. So we could say life is always now, yes, but we could also add that faith is always now. We could say that worship is always now. We could say that serving is always now. We could say that mercy is always now, or forgiveness is always now, or the kingdom of Jesus is always now. All of those things are now in the present, every moment. Why? Because God is. God is past, He's present, He's future, and God is right now. I wanted you to notice a couple things. Um, while Paul was under house arrest, remember I talked about five things last week that we build our mission on here at Centralia Church, which makes up the, the foundational piece of, of the gospel. I, I want to point your attention that all five of these things are evident in Paul in this particular text. Paul was worshiping God with his life in every moment that he could. He pointed to God. He was devoted to him. He adored him and, and spread that to other people. Paul was welcoming to everybody. He wanted to have fellowship with people, with the believers and, and any of their friends that they would bring along. He wanted to practice hospitality. He wanted to, to create a community even though he couldn't leave his house and he was chained to a guard. He preached the kingdom and he taught about Jesus' way. He discipled people who came to him. And we know that he was a servant of all people by these things and for the very fact that he was locked up in jail for extending Jesus' witness and serving others in his name. And he was definitely a witness to everybody who was around him. And those are the things that, that we have as the, the foundation of our mission here at the church. We want to make these five things evident in everything that we do. And so I get to this point, and I have to ask you is, you know, in thinking about the story, past and present and future, and your own particular life, have, have you ever had plans disintegrate around you? Has that snapshot or picture of what life might be like or the picture of what you want your life to turn out as, has that ever just been ripped up, shattered? Have there, have there been points in your life where you found yourself in circumstances that were far different than you ever imagined? You get to a point and you realize that, oh my goodness, life happened. Detour signs just came out from nowhere and they took you by surprise and, and you land right here, right now, in this particular moment. I think Paul would empathize with us. But he would have some counsel for us, too. Paul's initial plan was to take the gospel to Spain. That's what he really wanted to do. The door closed multiple times for that. And now he's in jail. And he faced hardship frequently throughout his ministry. 
it doesn't mean that Paul's plans were wrong. It doesn't mean that Paul didn't hear God correctly. It doesn't mean that Paul was being unfaithful to his calling. What it means is that there's something that we're living in called life, and sometimes things just change. Sometimes circumstances come out differently than we would expect, and it doesn't mean that we heard God wrong in the past or that we're being unfaithful. Sometimes we get to a moment and we have to look back and evaluate, and then we have to to ask ourselves, what does it mean for us now? People change. Communities change. Circumstances change. It's not wrong, it's just different. The people of Israel faced a time like this too. You know the story, they were captive in Egypt. And God called a man named Moses to lead him out. We, we tell the story and we call it the Exodus. God's delivering the people out from slavery in Egypt and, and uh, leading them to the promised land. Shortly after they left Egypt, they were wandering around in the wilderness and they were hungry and thirsty and there wasn't food and there wasn't water and they started complaining to Moses and, they, and then they said, it would have been better if we never left. The picture looking backwards wasn't the glorious grand picture that they were thinking about now. They forgot the pain and the suffering for 400 years. Then after they had settled in the promised land, there was another time where they had been unfaithful to God multiple times, and and they found themselves in exile. And during exile, what did they do? they started looking backwards. Oh, if God would just rescue us like he did back then. Change our circumstance. Isaiah writes about this. You flip over to um, Isaiah 43, if you still have your Bibles open. Isaiah 43, 18 and 19, it says, Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. It springs up. Do you not perceive it? God did not want them to forget the exodus or think that it was irrelevant and not meaningful. No, that's part of your past. That's who you are. Remember it. But, but, I want you to look forward in your faith to the new ways in which I will save and deliver you now. We read, we listened earlier to Isaiah and back one chapter in Isaiah 42, 9, God says that he will declare the new things to us. I will declare these things to you before they even happen. I'll tell you about them. My question is, are we listening Are we looking? Are we focused on God as our future so that we can live right now in the present or or are we stuck looking at something else that happened in the past? God says, no, direct your focus to me. 
listen, perceive, listen with your heart so you can understand. Paul's counsel for us would be that when circumstances change around us, that we should seek to pursue God in every moment and and not get stuck looking at an old picture or an old vision. And perhaps God has something new on the horizon that we should embrace it. That's what I think he would say to us. Luke pointed out that some of the people that came to Paul believed him and changed. And other people, they weren't willing to. They couldn't get their mind around the new thing that God was doing. I told Kalen before we came in here that I didn't have an ending to this message. So I better come up with one, right? Maybe I could ask you this question. You know, we listen to the word. We read it and pray over it. And oftentimes the question is, what what does it actually mean for us today? We can do historical studies and word studies and all sorts of fancy things to understand the text and what it meant for the people that it was written to, but, but I always want to ask the question, what does it mean today? Why should I care? And I, I know the question that this particular text puts in front of my face, the one that I have to address, is asking me, do I need to let go of a picture of my life that I have in my mind And do I need to embrace one that God is painting for me right now? And that's probably a relevant question for you, too. Do you need to let go of a picture that you're holding on to, one that you have in your mind? And do you need to embrace the picture that God is painting on the canvas of your life right now? And corporately, as a church, the same question is relevant. How can we pursue God faithfully now, in this moment? Some circumstances are similar. Some have changed. Our community has changed around us in the last decade, two decades. How are we positioning ourselves to respond to the need that we see coming to us every day? How do we align our mission effort to hit those five points of the gospel to remain faithful to what God calls us to do? How, how can we do, use those things and, and meet the human need that's all around us? So the question is, in front of our board and our leadership and our staff and is what does that look like? What is the picture? What is the painting that God is, is working on right now? And everything that God creates is a masterpiece. And the question for us, I guess, is knowing that God's will and his word will proceed and be preached without hindrance in all boldness The question is, are we going to take steps to embrace it? 
or not. The people of God said, Amen.